Hey, everybody. My name is Tyler, if I don't know you. Uh, welcome to Vineyard Covington. Um, it's a new year. Did you know that? And this is the year, the time of year where we like to think about vision and what's coming up in the year. And we look back and we reflect on our lives and we think about where we're going and all these sort of things. And so uh, we're going to do that together uh, a little bit. And I want to start off by looking at a passage from the Bible in a book called Romans chapter 12. And this is kind of one of those classic verses. We've actually used this in a lot of our messages over the last um, few months. We talked about it when we talked about worship. We talked about it when we talked about our worldview and being uh, changed by the ways that we think and see, uh, learn to see things from a kingdom perspective. And we're going to talk about it again today. Uh, so this kind of sets the stage. This is Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Paul, the apostle, is writing uh, to the church there in Rome, and he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What did you notice from those verses? Sacrifice, offering ourselves up, giving ourselves worship, right? And he, and he paints this contrast, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As, as Grant said, our mission is to welcome people home to a family being transformed by the life and love of Jesus. And so if you want to know what we're all about here at Vineyard Covington, if you want to be a part of what we're doing, we have to understand that a huge part central to our mission and our community is this process of ongoing transformation. How often do we stop and think about what we're becoming? About what God is making us into together as a church family? And that's what we're going to focus on today. And really, I, I want to give us three pictures uh, to just pause and reflect on and, and hear what Jesus might be inviting us into through these pictures. Um, because we are all becoming something, right? How we live, the choices that we make, the things that we give our attention and devotion to, what we worship, how we spend our time, all of this stuff, it is all forming us. This is how life works. And the appeal of the Apostle Paul in this letter is to not go along mindlessly with the way of the world around us, letting it constrict us into some lesser image than what we were created to be. So if that is true, and if we're joining in with that, then we have to understand how we were created. So the Bible paints a really beautiful picture of a loving father um, who stitched us together in our mother's wombs. Each of us is handmade, original, 
We were created on purpose, made for amazing things, to belong to a healthy family and to live fruitful lives. And so the first kind of picture that I want us to, to reflect on is this picture of being created, of God the Father stitching us together in the dark in our mother's wombs. And so there's a passage from Psalm 139 that gives some really awesome language here. And as we read this passage together, let's just like do it reflectively, right? Let's, let's allow our magi- imaginations to, to work, to soak these words in, and to really try to pay attention and listen to what God might want to be saying to us in this moment. So Psalm 139, and I'm going to start uh, at verse 13. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Isn't this powerful? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God is absolutely wild in love with you. All of this is about love. My hope for every single one of us, brothers and sisters in this family, in this room, in our community, and even going outward to the city around us, is that you know how deeply God loves you. We want this message to to really stick in our hearts, right, in our minds, because it has the power to transform us. But we don't want it to just stay here. We want it to spread out, to overflow, to go out to where everyone in our neighborhoods, in our city, wherever we go, hears this message. This is why we do simple things, by the way, like Christmas Eve, we give away a ton of Moonrise Donuts. We look for anything that we can give. Uh, a tradition of Rachel and I is on Valentine's Day, we go around and we give out Hershey kisses to people and say, you got kissed today. It gets a little awkward sometimes. It's helpful when you have kids. To, to do it when you're doing it with another dude. But <laughs> this is why we do these things. This is why we throw giant parties uh, in the summer and invite the neighborhood into it. This is why we are learning to live a life of mission. This is why we serve the schools around us and we invest in the teachers. We want everyone to know how deeply loved they are. God, we want to see the value in every single person around us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the picture that I want to stick with us is is God as a loving father stitching us together in our mother's wombs. So that's the starting place, right? We we are all loved. We, We were designed by God. We were created for amazing things. So what's the problem? There's a lot of ways of framing this, but the thing that I would say is that all of us 
have been and are being deformed by this world. The reality is that we live in a culture that is tearing us apart stitch by stitch, guiding us in a way of life that is at odds with how we were created. We're restless and distracted, busy and exhausted. Our identities are confused. Our connection with God and one another has been broken. How often do you feel aware of that gap between what you feel like you were meant to be, who you really are, and what you're experiencing on a daily life. We were doing an, an exercise in our house group uh, last week, uh, kind of uh, an examine of the year before. We were meditating actually on Psalm 139, and we were just reflecting on you know, where we saw God at work in the year before. What are the, the places that we were gra uh, grateful for? Um, what were the places where we felt his love and, and presence in our lives. And as we reflected on that, I just asked a simple question and it kind of just came out, out of the top of my head. And I was just really surprised how much it resonated with all of us. And the question was this, as you look at the last year, what were the moments when you really felt like yourself? Think about that for a minute. Maybe even in the first two weeks of this year. <laughs> To shorten it, what are the moments when you felt the most like yourself? There's a disconnect there sometimes, isn't there? We're pulled in so many different directions. We are bombarded by so many messages and desires vying for our attention and our allegiance. Sometimes we just forget who we are. We forget that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. I wore my favorite cardigan today. Can you tell? I was wondering if anyone was going to say something. But. <laughs> I've had this thing for like over 10 years. Uh, I don't know. It's just like I feel so comfortable in it. Do you have clothes like that when it's like you put it on and you're like, oh yeah, this is me. Got my hat. My uh, Uncle Carl gave me this when I was in the eighth grade, and I've worn it every winter. I lost it once for like two years. It was in a suitcase, and I was so sad, and then I found it, and there was great rejoicing. <laughs> but I put this cardigan on, and you know, in the winter, it's getting chilly. It's just so cozy, and uh, Grant and Alicia were over at our house. We were having a meeting, and we started eating lunch, and I looked down, and I see, you see this? The stitching is literally coming apart at the seams. Now, most of this is just my attempt to ask one of you who knows how to sew, can you fix this? Anita, okay, I'll, thank you. I've been wearing this thing for years and years and Rachel said, I think it's probably just time to get rid of it. But I can't let it go. The things in our world, in our lives, have a way of wearing down, of falling apart, don't they? This is the world that we live in, and sometimes it, it's happening a lot all at once. It feels like everything is falling apart, sometimes just a little bit. But here's the good news. 
God is at work through Jesus, stitching back together his creation that he loves so much. Hopefully even my cardigan. This is the power and the mystery of the incarnation, that thing that we celebrated at Christmas, you know, God coming to be with us, Emmanuel, Jesus as a baby entering humanity, putting on human skin. God sent his son to be with us because of his amazing love for us to become one of us, to remind us and model for us what life lived in connection to the Father really looks like. This is the kingdom of heaven breaking into our broken world, stitching things back together. And here's the second picture that I want to give us today to reflect on. Through Christ... God has stitched himself to us, and we are invited to live in this new reality. God has stitched himself to us. Jesus uses a, a different metaphor to describe it in John 15. It's not quite sewing related, but it's really close. So can you work with me here? Jesus says in John 15, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Stay connected. And then he goes on in, in uh, John 15, 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I has kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We are invited to be connected intimately to the Father through Jesus. In the same way that the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. See, I think one of our biggest challenges is that we hear the message that God loves us. Sometimes we even receive it. Sometimes we even believe it about ourselves. But we have this really terrible habit of not remaining in that love of not staying stitched together, of not say, staying connected and woven together into the life and love of God through Jesus, the work of the Spirit in us. And we have this habit of just wandering off. But here's the thing. Becoming like Jesus is not just doing a bunch of stuff for God. It's not, it's not about all of the things that we do, even though he says... If you, remain, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in me. But I believe that it's actually learning to experience, receive, and then dwell in the love of the Father. Y'all, seriously, we get to be loved every day. We are invited to make our homes in a life of love, intimately stitched together with the Father through Jesus the Son. Is that hard for anyone else? Just me? See that hand. 
This is actually a skill that is so easy for us to miss or we, we just move past it and we leave it behind. I think we're so insistent on trying to figure it out on our own or to make something of ourselves that we just leave it behind. Or maybe you're like me and you just try to hide from your need to be loved altogether. I don't need to be loved. That's a bunch of mushy stuff, right? I'm good on my own. Love is for like needy people, not me. But here's the thing, I am becoming more and more convinced that learning how to abide in the love of God is the most crucial and fundamental skill that we can ever learn in our lives. This is what we are invited into, and it feels like it shouldn't be that hard, right? Because most of us know that God loves us. We've heard the message. We get it. But here's the question for today. Do you know how he's loving you? Actively. Like, have you ever stopped and paid attention to the specific and unique ways that the Father is at work loving you in your life right now? Yeah, he showed us his love by sending his son. But he's also at work in our lives every day uh, inviting us to this connected sort of um, ongoing process of being loved all the times. There are actually practices that we can learn to help us slow down and pay attention to that active transforming love of God in our lives every day. And this is what we're going to lean into uh, the next time we get together and in the coming months. We're, we're just going to focus on how do we actually do this? How do we stay connected, re remaining stitched together in love uh, with Jesus. Jared Boyd is a vineyard pastor, and he's also the founder um, of the Order of the Common Life, which is a religious order within the vineyard movement, uh, trying to reimagine monasticism for the 21st century. If you're interested in religious orders, come talk to me later. <laughs> um, but there's, there's so much good stuff that this community is, is practicing and learning, and he's been a huge influence on, on my life. And, and really, we have a very similar mission of what we're trying to do together. We're just kind of going about it in different ways. Um, but he wrote a book that's all about how to practice a way of life together. It's called Freedom in Constraint. And in it, he writes this. In this act of paying attention to the way that God loves us, we learn that God's love is uniquely shaped for us. We learn that Christ has stitched himself to our body, soul, mind, and strength. And because God has taken on the shape of our life through God's own humanity, we can take on the shape of God's life and become like him. It's a lot of words there. Does that make any sense? Because God came to be like us, to be one of us in our humanity, we are now invited to become like God. This is really kind of mind-blowing and powerful. Do you believe that? We were made to be like Jesus. He came to rescue us, to set us free from the powers at work in our world that are shaping us in their ugly, deformed image. 
We have been set free, and we were saved not just from something, but we were saved for something, to live life in a completely new way. You see, this is a work of grace that we have to receive. We have to learn how to abide, to remain in the love of Jesus, but we also have a part to play. We get to participate. Again, how did Jesus say we abide? By obeying his commands, by putting his teaching into practice and learning to live a life of, uh, a life of love for God and one another. Again, this is all always about love. When we talk about being transformed in, in this kind of ongoing process and, and really our vision for life together in Vineyard Covington, it's really helpful to recognize that what we're doing together, how we're trying to live, is actually something called counterformation. Counterformation. Because we've all already been formed in a certain way. No matter how old we are, our, our life experiences, our family backgrounds, our choices, our traumas, our hurts, our successes, none of us is starting with a blank canvas. And the world around us is not neutral either. The culture that we live in is a formation machine. And this is why engaging in a process of intentional spiritual formation is so important. I just thought about this, but um, we are starting this pro uh, partnership with Holmes High School. And uh, at the beginning of the year, um, we brought a bunch of snacks and um, coffee pods and creamers and things. And we stocked the teachers' lounges. And it was just a really fun way to love them. And, and there's, I think, some excitement grow going on around there. We also got to bring them a ton of Moonrise Donuts uh, that they gave us later. We're just going to keep spreading the donut love. Uh, can Moonrise Donuts be an official sponsor of the... <laughs> uh, it is a great way to say Jesus loves you. Um, but we were doing this, and we put up a little QR code of just like, hey, we would love to be praying for you. If there's anything that we can do uh, to just support you in prayer, let us know. And like within um, an hour, I think, of putting this up, uh, a teacher actually filled out the QR code and just what, what they said was basically this. It's really hard here. <laughs> it's really hard here. There's a lot of, of darkness. There's a lot of brokenness. And this was a follower of Jesus that needed encouragement. They needed to know that they weren't alone and, and some uh, support to join God and seeing his kingdom break in to Holmes High School. This is the world that we live in. It's not just an abstract idea that we're talking about. This is real life with, with real world consequences. There's a book uh, called Beautiful Resistance by a pastor uh, in New York City named John Tyson. And he tells the story of going to visit uh, the site of an underground discipleship training school uh, in Poland, right on the border of Germany, um, that was called Finkenwald, started by Diedrich Bonhoeffer during World War II. And Bonhoeffer is this just amazing, fascinating guy. He ends up giving his life for this cause. Uh, but he was appalled in his generation at the compromising and the complicitness of the church with Hitler and Nazi Germany. And he knew that he had to do something. One expert noted um, of this time that Hitler did not merely want to rule Germany politically, 
Rather, he wanted to control the hearts and souls of its citizens. At a very fundamental level, therefore, this was as much a religious battle as it was a political struggle. And so Bonhoeffer started this underground seminary, this, this secret community where they were being trained and formed in the way of Jesus. And apparently a friend of Bonhoeffer's became concerned uh, that this secret training ground was all a little too intense and starting to get a little dangerous and that they were taking this spiritual formation stuff uh, a little too seriously. And so he went out to visit him, I guess maybe to try to talk him out of it, to, to come to his senses and, and come home and live a normal life. Uh, but the story goes that, that um, one night Bonhoeffer took his friend in a boat across the river from the, the training ground and they climbed up a little hill and they looked over uh, into uh, Germany and they could see a, a camp for Hitler's army. And so they are were, they were standing in between this kind of secret seminary training ground that, where they're bef- being formed in the way of Jesus and this training ground for Uh, Hitler's regime that was trying to take over the world. They could see fighter planes taking off and landing. They could see soldiers um, marching in formation. And so we get this this picture, this contrast, a little community practicing the teachings of Jesus with deep commitment to one another versus the military might of a regime that was conquering and taking over the world with a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And Bonhoeffer said to his friend, see the time that we're living in. What we're doing, being formed in the way of Jesus, has to be stronger than the world. This has to be stronger than that. Everything that we are doing following Jesus is counter-formation. It is a beautiful resistance against the way, the powers of this world that Jesus came to defeat and set us free from. This must be stronger than that. What are we training for? How are we intentionally participating with God in this process of counterformation in the midst of our cultural moment? The brokenness, the darkness in our city. How we live really matters. It's forming us into the likeness of Christ. And the simplest things can be in direct opposition to the ways of our world. Here's just one really quick example uh, from a practice that a lot of us have been uh, incorporating into our lives called Sabbath, which is all about stopping and resting and delighting in the Lord and the good things that he has for us. Uh, A theologian named Walter Brueggemann actually wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance, which I just love that title, right? Sabbath as Resistance. And in it, he writes this. In our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and an alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. The way that we choose to live, even by just stopping, taking a break from work one day a week, celebrating and enjoying life, slowing down, it's a way of resistance to the the ways of the world around us that are forming us in their image. Isn't that cool? Sabbath is not just a good idea that we like. 
The things that we're practicing are actually an act of resistance towards this oppressive, distorting identity all around us. I truly believe that God is after our hearts. He wants to set us free, and he is way more interested in who we are becoming than anything we can accomplish for him, anything that we can do. And his invitation is into a whole new way of life. You guys still with me? All right. Ephesians chapter 4, another one, a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he, he went all around the world starting these, these new churches, starting these kind of ragtag communities of people that are trusting and believing and putting the practices of Jesus uh, at work in their lives. And he writes this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There it is again, created to be like God. Take off the old way of life and put on the new. So what is our strategy? Here at Vineyard Covington, um, what we have said, what we feel like Jesus has invited us into is, is developing a way of life we can invite the city into. It's super simple, but I believe it's really powerful to actually transform us and our entire city. Developing a way of life we can invite the city into. And I really believe, and I want to invite you into this with us, because I think that we can start a beautiful resistance in our own day, in our own city. And this is our plan to intentionally recenter our entire life around Jesus in order to experience the full, fruitful kind of life that he invites us into. It's a way of life. Everything that we do centered on Jesus being transformed by his life and his love. And it starts with being with Jesus. So we introduced this language uh, around, I think, February of last year, and we are going to be really focusing on it again. We're going to be inviting uh, everyone to participate with us as we develop this way of life centered around Jesus by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and learning to do what Jesus did. And so our way of life is, it's not just this like mysterious thing. It's not how we're all living. Uh, it's actually a specific set of values, practices, and rhythms, both individual and communal, that we commit to living out together. We have to do it together. That's what makes this thing powerful. What if there was a path, a training ground, a way of walking life together that we all committed to practicing side by side Hand in hand. A picture that's been really helpful for me lately uh, is actually something that comes from the early church, uh, the desert mothers and fathers, these people that really started this uh, contemplative life, monasticism, all of that. And they talk about something called a, a habitus, right, which is uh, the path of life. It's the, the walk that we are taking, the, the specific things that we do and how we are being formed. And so when I picture this, I just picture Stonehaven on the lake. This is a picture from uh, the ladies' retreat last year. And you guys did a winter walk in the snow. How cool is that? Very cool, right? 
So there's this little pond, there's a barn, there's a lake house. If you've never been out there, it's this really beautiful place. Um, the lake was covered in snow uh, there. But if you walk around the lake, I think the path is about a mile. Is that right? So I don't know how long that takes you to walk. But if you imagine this way of life that we're committed to together, we're all walking this path. Now, there's going to be different things that we're drawn to, different things that, that capture our attention, different ways that Jesus invites us to, to focus in on, and, and he invites us to stop and maybe hang out. Like, this is something cool, right? Every time you walk the path, you might notice different things. You might be drawn to something new. There might be a, a longer time that you spend in a certain place. The idea is that we're not doing all of these things all at once at the same time, but that all of us are committed to walking this path together. What I want to invite you into is a specific way of life shared together, walking this path. And the thing is, this is a really slow process. <laughs> this is something that we commit our lives to, and over time, over the course of our life, Living and abiding in love, we, we become more and more like Jesus, and we're able to give that away to the world around us. Okay, one last thought, one last picture, and then we're going to wrap it up. We can't do it alone. Like We know this. We say things a lot like we're better together. Um, but in this case, it is absolutely 100% true. It's not a cliche. This way of life is not just about practices. It's not about you do your thing and I do my thing. It's about how God is using us and shaping us and forming us to make us into something new, an alternative community to the world. Yes, he's making each one of us uniquely and individually new, but maybe even more importantly than that, he's making all of us together, this body, into something beautiful. This has been his plan from the very beginning. Colossians chapter 2, last letter from Paul, and we're done. He's writing uh, uh, to, to churches, and, and he's wanting to encourage them. He's wanting them to know all, all of this amazing stuff about Jesus, and he says this. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants us to be knit together by strong ties of love. The, the message version, which always has a way of kind of bringing things out to life, he says, I want you woven into a tapestry of love. Three pictures that, I, that I'm giving us today. One is God, the Father, the loving Father, knitting us together in our mother's wombs, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. The second picture, God, the Father, through Jesus, stitching himself to us. Entering into all of the broken places, the places that the world and sin and death are tearing us apart. He fills those places and he stitches us together to become like him, to be with him, uh, to become like him and do the things that he does. And then this last picture, God the Father at work through the power of the Holy Spirit, knitting us all together in a beautiful tapestry of love.
Do you see this? This is what God does. One of the biggest ways that our culture deforms us, I would say, is by rugged individualism. We are taught, we are shaped to think of ourselves first, and we don't even understand how we relate to one another. The idea that we would allow ourselves to be stitched together to somebody else is almost insulting to our culture. The idea that we would find our meaning and our identity by belonging and being part of a new family is countercultural and has the power to transform our world. You see, this way of life that we're talking about, this, this unique and specific way that we practice together, walking around that path, noticing and paying attention to the specific and individual ways that God is loving us and making us new, is beautiful. It's powerful. We are being made into the image of Jesus. So there's an invitation to you, ultimately. Will you commit to joining us as we walk this way of life together. Now, as we go on over the, the coming weeks and months, we're gonna talk more about what this means, what this looks like. It's way more than just coming to worship. It's way more than just joining a house group. It's actually uh, submitting our lives to each other, practicing this way of Jesus, um, being tied together in love. This is God's kingdom vision. The good news of the gospel is that the God who created you, who lovingly knit you together in your mother's womb, has never stopped and will never stop coming after you to heal and repair everything that is, that is broken. He did this through the work of his life, death, and resurrection, stitching us together uh, with love. And now his plan continues through the work of the Spirit, knitting us all back together into this beautiful tapestry of love.